Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 143, episode 4 of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially, off the top, fuck the Koch brothers, fuck Fox News, fuck Uh, Rush Limbaugh, fuck Sexton, fuck Ben Shapiro, and whatever Uh. him and Barry Weiss and... uh, Andrew, uh, whatever, from that other site are all leaving to go do it together, I'm sure. Uh, it's Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. There's this guy, O'Brien, and his first name's Jack. <laughs> O'Brien's named Jack on the boulevard. Uh, that is courtesy of my brain uh, just now. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray! No, we're never gonna survive unless we stop being babies. All we gotta do is stay inside, but no, we're stupid babies. Oh, that's one of my favorite parts of this song. Is when the goes, best part. Uh, shout out seal. to the one and only Christy Yamaguchi Main for that seal inspired AK. He dug that one up. He retweeted it from June uh, 29th. He's like, I cannot let this rot on the vine. Please I mean, because that is the that is the detail that has kind of stuck with us. The the thing that America cannot get over is being babies. We we just <laughs> refuse to. Yeah. You can't tell me what to do, Dad. You can't um, tell me what to do, but also I will rely on everyone else to do everything for me. But I am right. not a baby. Right. So. Well, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by the brilliant and talented Monica Ortiz Uribe. Buenos Welcome. dias, buenas tardes, hola a todos. That's hello to everyone. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here uh, in my hometown of El Paso, Texas on the U.S.-Mexico hey. border where the official language is Spanglish. Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah. We were talking before we started recording that uh, you don't usually come on uh, such second-rate uh, shows where people are just spouting off at the mouth. You are a actual journalist. Right. Um, so, so we don't want it. We aren't going to put your career or your integrity at risk. I know it's a risk for you to even be on a second-rate podcast like this, but <laughs> Oz made it through and had a yeah. good time. Uh, for people who don't know, this, you and Oz host the Forgotten Women of Juarez, Forgotten Women of Juarez podcast together. So uh, for those of you who are like, what's with what's with these like smart people coming through all of a sudden? <laughs> you know, we know some intelligent people that we like to engage in conversation from time to time. Yes. Yeah, I hope we're not cramping your style coming in. No. no. <laughs> we were saying the other day, like when Oz was speaking, I was just like, man, keep going, please. Sir. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, dude yeah. My, host our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> my dear co-host, he he does ab- absorb quite a bit of. It's impressive the amount of information he he absorbs in his brain and then is able right? to talk it out pretty eloquently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you guys are uh, making made an amazing uh, show, and uh, we can talk about that a little bit in a moment. Uh, first, let's tell our listeners a couple of things we're talking about today. The Republican Party has. Uh, really no plan to speak of. Uh, they're enjoying the infighting. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Q. Q is uh, getting 
banned from Twitter, uh, but as we know, where they go one, they go all. So uh, we'll we'll see. They will all go to Slack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Some other thing. Um, but yeah, that like I can't avoid. Like Q is just everywhere now. Like I, I was talking about a a doctor who went to medical school with uh, someone I know who uh, is now like fully on on the Q train and just posting nonstop about it. And Q, Q. Tim Heidecker had to like go do an emergency <laughs> two hour episode to like defend himself against like Q accusations because they think he and Will Ferrell have like a child eating ring or something. Oh, uh, anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the uh, president's uh, first Corona briefing since he told people to inject bleach into their lungs uh, and he made it through mostly uh, unscathed, except when yeah. he said Ghislaine, uh, Ghislaine is... Ghislaine. 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 That, uh, yeah, that, it was almost a flawless briefing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, flawless comparatively, uh, but yeah. But then somebody he never, asked him he about... Never, well, actually, not he never disappoints. He always disappoints. Right. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Tucker Carlson, all of that, plenty more. But first, Monica, we like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are? Uh, well, it must have been two nights ago that I Googled um, mezcal old fashioned. Um, mm. Yes, yes, yes. This is you, you think of, uh, of, of old fashions as, as dark in color, made out of bourbon. This was a clear... Um, lovely, um, old fashioned that, you know, as you mentioned, my co-host and I are doing this podcast and it's some heavy stuff. So you got to find a way to take the edge off every day. In fact, I'm thinking now I should have started off the day with one of these, uh, mezcal old fashions. <laughs> might, might help me loosen up for this, this show. Yeah. Did you, is that so basically everything the same, but just mezcal? I think I've had one, but rather than like Angus, like the regular bitters, it had mole bitters. That was like uh, taking God, it I... to the next level, but I, it was—I think that was like a special thing where people were making it themselves to really honor the drink. I have not even gone that far. You are a step ahead of me. That's just <laughs> me thinking of like back, you know, back when bars and restaurants and patronizing businesses was a regular occurrence. I, I heard tell of this mezcal old fashioned. Yeah, yeah well, you're... I've got. There's a friend of a friend of mine who is a, um, a tequila distiller. He's got a fabulous restaurant up in uh, in Philly called uh, Tequilas of all things, and <laughs> uh, and he goes and he finds these old school artisanal um, distillers in in Mexico, um, in in Jalisco, in the lowlands and the highlands, which is where tequila comes from, and he puts out these fantastic mezcals and tequilas. So I'm a big fan. His name is David Sudo. Shout out to David. Um, All right, David. And tequilas. Yeah. yeah. Hit that <laughs> and up. So Philly's right gang. When when the pandemic began, I made sure that I was well stocked with uh, David Sudo goods in my. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so is that your main? Is that your main uh, beverage of choice? You like like a mezcal cocktail or tequila drink? Typically? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, with the finer uh, mezcals and tequilas, um, they really ought to be sipped clean, not shot, yeah. as you see, you know, down like Cancun, spring no, breakers. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. You take this in a, in a little sifter glass and, and you just sip on it slowly and you enjoy the very complex and smooth flavors that come with that, that are supposed to come with a tequila 
um, yeah. a good tequila. So I'm always sad when people, when I offer people tequila and they kind of wince because they had a bad experience back in college. Right. And, you know, it shouldn't be that way with tequila. It's. It's right. like the same thing. I mean, I don't want to compare the two, but like psychedelic drugs. Most people are like, I can't do that, man. Because most <laughs> of the time you went too far with it. Or like with tequila mezcal, you're drinking it too fast and too intensely. Take it slow. Take it easy. Mm. And, you know, go let it take you where it needs to. Because I think that was when I really got into it is when someone scolded me for like even drinking it on ice. And I was like, oh, but I'm sitting there like, no, no, no. Like you have to enjoy. Like this is a real spirit. Like you need to enjoy. And then when I was, I learned, I was like, okay, I yeah. Now I respect them as well. When it comes to your drug of choice, know where it comes from, know where it comes from and get the high quality stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just good advice. Yeah. Uh, in general. What is uh what's something you think is underrated? Underrated. Well, you know, um again, uh trying to to start with the lighter stuff. I'm I I prefer to to start off with the what's overrated. Okay, you ask let's about do that. Both things, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, something that I think is overrated, maybe this is a little controversial, right? But mm, I would say sharing a bed with your spouse on a nightly basis. Mm. And like, when you say something like that, automatically your thought is like, uh, well, some, what's going you know, on? What's, what's wrong? What's going yeah. on there? You guys doing Trouble okay? Trouble in paradise. Yes, yes, yes. Which is and the thing I, I say, like to say to couples all the time. <laughs> I yeah. say, I say, no, 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 no. Uh, totally on the contrary. Um, you know, having your own space um, and being able to say, look, amor, I love you very much, but I also need, really need a good night's sleep. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to take it as, you know, maybe one of you is a night owl and the other one is a morning person. Or maybe one of you wakes up in the middle of the night and has some brilliant idea, has to turn on the lights and, you know, jot it down. Oh, I um, wish I was someone like that. <laughs> yeah, I keep waiting for that to happen. I was like, that's um, only in movies, Monica. <laughs> yeah, it's yet to happen to me. Um, but uh, but but yeah, no, I think it, it's and this this is something I want to talk to uh, talk about a little. Hopefully, in the show, is these gender roles that that, that we that we play and how we can um, redefine them. And you know, it's nice to have on a daily basis your own. You know, I'm going to take a, a step further and not just say you know you should have your own bed, but you should have your own bedroom if you know if you can if you're not living in New York or San Francisco where. You, know, right. you can barely afford a, a studio. Right. Yeah, your own space, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have your own. It's you know, it's about having your own space, having some independence, um, and uh, and and yeah, I think that strengthens you as a person, and it strengthens you as a uh, in a relationship, and you have a better night's sleep. And it, that doesn't mean you can't like have sleepovers and visit and such. So mm. it makes it a lot yeah. more fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. This the bed. I totally understand because. Uh, you know, my partner, Her Majesty, she likes to have pets in the bed. And oh, I'm like, yeah. a, I don't like to inconvenience people. So I sleep very, like in a very thin sliver of the bed because I don't want to wake her up. Then I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to wake my pets up. I don't know why I'm going this I thought you were going to so. say that you sleep in the dog crate. <laughs> that might yeah, be your training. only option. I'm working on my crate training right now. But uh, yeah, like, so... I, th from that point, I realized too. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna sleep somewhere else because mm -hmm. that way, like, you can get down, and I don't have to feel bad about not disturbing anyone and get my exactly. own night's sleep. Because I think everyone has different sleep styles. I sleep next to a sprawler, and I'm <laughs> oh. very much like the. I, it's just so weird. Like, I don't advocate for my my own sleep when I'm in bed because I'm like, but the other person sleep, right. and then right. you gotta you gotta take care of yourself. Even that means 
getting away a good to another bed sleep for a little is, bit. A good night's sleep is is crucial. It'll make everybody happier. I say Absolutely. give it a, give it a try. Give it a try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My two year old was up uh, at two in the morning until four in the morning this morning, so I did not get a good night's sleep, and I have witnessed my brain malfunctioning like i'll see the wrong word coming out of my mouth as i'm uh as i'm speaking so uh i yeah yeah just a a fair word of warning there um that (laughs) i I, i'm about to show you the value of a good night's sleep uh, in the (laughs) negative (laughs) like oh boy oh boy yeah Uh, playing musical beds is also also an option yeah (laughs) right especially when you've got kids what is something you think is underrated? Okay, something I think is underrated are immigrants. Um, yeah. Coming from the U.S.-Mexico border, we have, I mean, um, you know, almost everyone here has close ties to their immigrant uh, to their immigrant roots. And I mean, immigrants often play the role as scapegoats for all the problems, you know, pick a problem and it's, you know, an immigrant has been scapegoated for that problem mm-hmm. when, you know, in reality, um, these, the, they, they are among the essential workers who, uh, who are, who the foundation of our society is built on. I mean, they're picking our, they're picking our crops, our food, they're slaughtering and packaging our meat. Uh, they're making our hotel beds, washing our dishes. They're doctors, nurses, entrepreneurs. I mean, the the guy who invented uh, Flaming Hot Cheetos started off as a janitor, I think, at Frito-Lay. Yeah. And, um, and then, and, and now he's this, this, this big shot uh, executive in the, in the company, and he's the son of Mexican immigrants. And there's so many other um, examples. I mean, Albert Einstein was, a, was an immigrant. Yeah, isn't there going to be a hot Cheeto? Though? Isn't there a like a movie about him coming out at some there, point? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's the status of it, but uh, yeah, right. It's like Eva Longoria. I feel like was it was going to direct because we talked about it on the show, and I think that was when we first or I had first understood the origin of hot Cheetos. Yeah, yeah. he like was a tinkerer, and he had like a shed in the back, like all these things that are you know, f- straight out of a movie are is like the the origin story of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Uh, yeah, he's the classic rags to riches um, yeah. story. So I'm, I'm, I'm not curious, surprised Monica, somebody's making a movie. I'm curious, like with your perspective being in Texas and understanding like Mexican-American culture from the Texan point of view, you know, I think a lot of times, especially right now, we see a lot of minorities being deployed as tokens to try and like uh, buttress the Republican or conservative viewpoint. We're like, look at these people that are here that support us. And I'm curious, like every community, whether that's, you know, I'm black and Asian, whether I see black people at rallies and Asian people, there's obviously levels of internalized racism and white supremacy that people deal with. And is there is like what's sort of the makeup in certain in terms of how a lot of uh Mexican Americans in Texas sort of look at like what it means to be American and how that plays into conservative politics, et cetera? Hmm. Well, it's a it's it's a sticky situation. It's a messy situation in that um even as um Hispanics, Mexican Americans, um 
our opinions will run the gamut and yeah. it it and and there is absolutely racism um you know um, among amongst us um I, I there are things that my grandfather has told me that I will not repeat um but that that really blew me away to think how can you come from a marginalized community yourself and and then and then speak this way of others um you know a lot of uh the border patrol agents um the majority there there's a there's a large majority who are hispanic um and and I think it just happens to be that once once you hit multiple gener once you get multiple generations away from the original um, immigrants, um, mm -hmm. you start to feel comfortable and entitled, and you forget your your roots, and you maybe turn against the um, in, turn against them. I have relatives um, who vote conservatively, who who voted for um, who voted for Donald Trump, um, and I have others who who wouldn't dream of that. Um, right. Yeah. So I it think runs it's the gamut. Yeah, I think it's essentially the it's the same experience no matter what for any person coming from this country from another place that yeah yes. there's this first you know deep desire to integrate and to be accepted and then at a certain point yeah things can get away from you and whether or not you're able to sort of see where your roots are and the path you've taken and how that relates to other people uh you know I think yeah it definitely varies and one of the things that that hurts the most coming from um, you know having having roots in another country is that often um, your your culture and your traditions and especially your foods are um, are welcomed and embraced, but you yourself um, right. are not. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's that's one that's one among many hypocrisies that uh, that that we experience in in the United States. Mm. Okay, and one last, and I because you know we've had uh, people who come on and they they stand firmly behind the cuisine of Tex-Mex. <laughs> Don't you even gotta, get me started on that. I, well, I got to get you started <laughs> we have to because get you started. Oh, Every we time, gotta go there. I love we getting because I love food. I love Mexican food, and I love people who are passionate about food, like their regional food. So just tell me, Ooh. tell me why it's it's better than what I'm eating. Uh, wait, wait, why, why, what is or, better than what you're... I'm just saying, okay, like, because sometimes I've, we've had guests come on from Texas and they say, mm -hmm. I, I love, I love the food in LA, but I'm sorry, in Texas, the Mexican food is better. Now, I understand it's different. It's, it's, you can't really one-to-one -one compare, but f I guess for you personally, just oh. open, open my eyes because I'm so bored, <laughs> stuck in my house. I just want to envision... The Tex-Mex fantasy. <laughs> Mouth-watering Mexican food. Well, I have to say there is a huge difference between Tex-Mex, which I absolutely wince at, makes me shiver, with a couple exceptions, sopaipillas and fajitas being probably the two exceptions. Those are mm. Tex-Mex. But, but, but typically, I abhor, I, I, do, I dislike Ooh. strongly um, Tex-Mex. Ah, they, I like have this, right. they have this yellow white cheese blend that I just I do not comprehend. Um, That's one of my and, four main food groups. The really? yellow white, white cheese. cheese blend. The yellow white <laughs> yeah. cheese mix. Cut it out, man. Cut it yeah, out. There's yeah. better stuff out there. I put it on my cereal in the morning. Um, <laughs> what's like the if so if I go to El Paso, like what what am I what, what do I need to eat? Oh well, you gotta go um, into the um, on Texas Avenue, um, pretty not too far from the border. There's a place called Cafe Mayapan, um, mm. which just reopened since the pandemic. So I'm very excited to go get takeout and get my requisite um, frijoles refritos, refried beans, and fideo. Um, they make the best fideo. They make great enchiladas. You know, it really depends, uh, and and it's all it's this it's it's run by a woman's co-op. Um, 
Oh, you know, so a, a while back, a, a, a lot of women um, who were working in uh, in uh, um, se dice? in in fabric um, uh, in, in the fabric industry in text. Yes, yes, they were um, they worked in textile uh, factories. They lost their job after NAFTA. Um, and so they, uh, they, they formed this women's collective, um, that still exists today. And, you know, they used to have shops and such. Um, but the longest surviving, um, component of this co-op is this restaurant. Um, and they, it's, it's like going into your grandma's kitchen. It's it's fantastic. I would steer you there. I'm like starting to do this thing where I watch YouTube videos of like people cooking in other countries and they eat like my like noodles or something. Just kind of keep it exciting. (laughs) Right. It's like a VR experience where you're eating while (laughs) with the goggles on. Right. Uh, uh, I, I should, I would not be doing my due diligence if I didn't mention LME in downtown El Paso, which is making, they have the most unique um, Mexican food in El Paso in that it's more like central and southern Mexican food, the kinds of oh, tacos okay. that they have. Um, they were featured on um, on this, uh, como se dice, a Hulu show, Taste the Nation, I think it's called. They're oh, featured okay, in yeah. one of the episodes, so you should check them out there. And they also carry David Sudo's tequila, so you can't go wow. wrong. Wow. Yeah. Hey, one stop, one stop. <laughs> there you go. Once once we get a once we get a vaccine, come on down to El Paso and oh, I would love I'll nothing give you, more. I'll give you the primo Ooh, tour. Sounds amazing. Love nothing more. <laughs> uh, finally, what is a myth? What's something people think is true you know to be false, or vice versa? Okay. Um, well, a myth that I would bust is happily is that machismo only exists in Mexico or in Latin America. BS. Mm. Machismo exists everywhere, including in the United States. Um, and the sooner we recognize it, um, you know, the, the, the sooner we can, we can work against it. How would you define machismo for people who don't, aren't familiar with the term? Because I look at it as just like a very, like this form of masculinity that ends up uh, causing problems. <laughs> Correct. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Toxic it's like masculinity, this, if exactly, you Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's a form of masculinity, of, of expressing masculinity that, uh, that denigrates and hurts uh, women and that is based on just this, this unrealist, unrealistic expectation of, uh, of just toughness and um, separation from one's emotions. And uh, I could go on and on, but, um, but, you know, you just have to sit through, I mean, just the uh, a couple of Supreme Court hearings um, to understand it, it, right. it exists, or, or not, not, not hearings, um, como se dice, eh, this, is, this is where I forget the, 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 the English words, but w- the confirmation. The Kavanaugh the confirmation, confirmation. yeah. When I reached adulthood, I had to like realize that I had been so steeped in toxic masculinity that there was like, I did not give myself permission to even feel things like without yeah. without getting drunk. Like I had to like be just completely separate from my emotions because you know that's and just, it's terrible. It does a disservice um, yeah. to to men because to when me you're hit to with everyone some around grief, me, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're hit when you're hit with some kind of tragedy or grief, you don't know how to handle it, and if you that's don't know right. how to process your emotions, they're going to end up destroying you. They're going to have a very destructive um, outcome. And I want to say, um, uh, Jack, that I, I, I don't know if it, yeah, it's probably you, Jack. Um, I didn't, I hadn't done my due diligence researching your show yet when, um, um, when your producer said, oh, the, there was some schedule reshuffling, right? Because, uh, because of childcare. 
Mm-hmm. And like she was telling me, oh, our host needs to needs to get some get some child care. And uh, and I thought I autom- my my thought immediately that the host is female. I thought oh. that was my first thought. And so, yeah. you know, just to just to, you know, even machismo doesn't have to come from from a from a from a man. It's just these these presuppositions that we have that we need to break out of. Yeah. Um, totally. It seems so, like, you know, like in is is that softening a bit like outside of the US in your opinion? I think like as generations move on and progress, is that fading or is it still kind of a very cuz I know like very much there are people in like I have friends who are very conscious of how they're trying to raise their kids to sort of not be in this gender normative construct of how to be or what you can do or say or wear or whatever and just be like, yo, just live. But I know that's a very, that's one part of the spectrum. I'm curious what that is like, because I know you're looking at it like this is a problem and many people say it's a problem, but how is that evolution happening? I think it ebbs and flows no matter where right. you are. Um, anytime that, um, and this is um, anytime any group of uh, any group pushes for change, whether it's workers or women, um, anytime that there's a push for change to uh, alter the the the, the power, um, the existing power structure, there's going to be some pushback and some backlash. Um, sure. And uh, and that happens to women, um, you know, no matter where they are, including in the in the U.S. Um, and it's certainly you can see it in in Mexico. And I was having this this very conversation um, just yesterday with a, a professor at UC Santa Barbara. Her name is Allison Brisk, and uh, she brought this to my to my attention. Right, that that these power that a certain power structure exists. Um, you know, in all in different in different forms, including between men and women. And then when one um, you know, tries to upset that balance. There's, there's this backlash. So much anger, yeah. like yeah. to to the point of yeah, there being crimes and voting for Donald Trump. You know, it's uh, it can it, justify yeah, just about yeah. any horrifying decision. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, we we elected a man who who I mean who who spoke on tape about feeling he had the license to um to assault women. Yep. Because of because of his status. And yeah. this man is our president. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, let's take a quick break. And <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk about his grand old party. And we're back. Um, and so let's talk about the Republican Party there. They're heading into uh, election season with no real clear plan. And on the most, the thing that seems to be most important to everybody, to the voters uh, in our country, they seem to be kind of split. There, there's a lot of infighting, uh, amazingly. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it, it's easy. Like the right. stuff they have to vote on, you think it's, yeah, do what's right by Americans who are struggling to survive because the pandemic has completely messed everything up because of their inability to keep people safe. Right. The So the CARES Act uh, was helping Americans out with an additional $600 a week on top of their uh, state's unemployment benefits. Uh, it also had the unfortunate effect of revealing how just grossly underpaid most workers are in the country because the Republican talking point came out like, well, they're making more than they were on the job. So, so, so what are we going to do? 
It's like, why should we do? Well, we're going to help them to the point where they don't want to work. I mean, I, <laughs> it's again, this is, yeah, there, there are clearly so many camps. Like I think for us on this show right now, we think, yeah, it's a no brainer that you have to ex- keep extending these benefits because if you don't, you, you exacerbate the pandemic by forcing people into this really morbid decision between their own safety and having to go out and work and create money and put food on the table and pay rent. So the the, the infighting is just like, it's really, really interesting to see the stuff that even Trump is saying is, he says, they're thinking about doing a seven, about 70% of the amount, like a reduction, indicating that they're going to bring it down to only like 175 to 200 additional dollars a week. Uh, and he said, you know, the amount would be the same, but doing in a little bit smaller initial amounts so that people are going to want to go back to work as opposed to making so much money that they really don't have to. Right. What I mean, I would hate for this country for a sentiment to grow in this country where people's focus is just on making on as much money as possible and doing as little work as possible uh, and allowing others to do that work for you. I'd hate for something like that to happen. But I think that's just that's where we're at right now. We're still under we're still in the period where people are being covered uh, by the six hundred dollars and the like. I think it's easy for us to lose sight of, you know, I, I've been quarantining in my house for like uh, 13 days, like not leaving even to like take a walk or anything. Um, but when I talk to people who are like working in at churches or working at like food banks, it, we're already like at depression levels of like people are waiting in line overnight to get food handouts and like not even the the food banks aren't don't have enough food for them. Like we're already there with the six hundred dollars. We're at a crisis point, um, and it's just mind-boggling to me that there is even the thought that they won't be extending uh, what what is already pretty insufficient for for keeping people fed and alive. It's just really interesting, even within the party, all the different takes like Rand Paul is like butting heads with conservatives who want to extend the benefits in a humane fashion. He's like, "Whoa, wow. It's like, what's the difference between the left and the right anymore? It's like you guys are socialists now. And then you have other uh, people saying like, well, I don't like it for the budget. Although, let's be clear, you you didn't if you really cared about the budget, there was plenty of opportunities to address that with the bills you've signed into law. Uh, But they're like, but. You know, we should ha- we do have to think about our reelection chances and we don't want people to get mad at us. And the way that there's so many really morbid points of view when really there are people who are struggling and they need to be helped because that's what that's the whole point of having a government, is it not? Isn't that isn't that why we're like uh, uh, have this social contract where we're like, yes, please tell us what to do. And you 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 protect the the, you know, the safety of the people who live here, but that hasn't been happening for decades now. So I guess it just continues. You yeah. know, the, the social safety net in, in this country has been eroding for at least the, the, the last uh, 30 to 40 years. Yeah. And, um, and one of the things I, I find encouraging, um, uh, that's come out of the pandemic, uh, which is, you know, it's hard to find what what's encouraging. But this conversation that we're having about how about essential workers and and what they're being paid, um, you know, it, it you you know it's bad when Bloomberg magazine um, publishes a, a story that 
with the headline, How the American Worker Got Fleeced, and talks about how <laughs> worker wages haven't kept pace <laughs> Noted with Noted socialist zine, Bloomberg. <laughs> Is that Jacobin or what? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, then you know things have gotten bad. You you got you got to pay attention. Um, and, and yeah, they're just talking about how if the minimum wage had kept pace with, uh, with, with productivity, it would be like... Twenty dollars, twenty dollars and twenty five cents an hour, and yeah. and we're and we're nowhere near that. And, and you if know, it went up, I think with CEO pay, it would be somewhere like in the forty dollars per hour range too. If you tied it to the exponential exactly. jumps in CEO pay. Yes, yes. The, the 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 gap between the the high earners and the and the low wage earners um has has just also become a chasm. And I mean, and you know, again, um, you know, the going back to 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 immigrants and and their contributions, um, you know, it it seems like workers, you know, workers when when NAFTA when uh, when NAFTA was passed, you know, many American workers, certainly in the manufacturing industry, were rightly upset about it because a lot of those jobs went to Mexico, and indeed in places like Juarez. Uh, Juarez, the backbone of its economy is. Uh, manufacturing and these, you know, all these foreign, mainly American factories set up there. And, you know, they make the stuff that goes in our washing machines and our laptops, probably in the microphones we're using to, to record this podcast. Um, and those workers, um, they are earning less than $10 a day. Get this, not per hour, Jesus. per day. You know, how do you survive on that? And here we are painting Mexico as as the enemy, um, whereas I'm more the more I look into it, the more similarities I see between um, how worker how workers are losing out in the U.S. and how workers are are losing out in Mexico. And it's like, you know, if they they could they could join forces um, because they are certainly they they can see themselves as allies because they're struggling with the same things. Um, Absolutely, you know, losing government protection, union protection, poor wages that they can't live on, and there's tremendous violence that we see in Mexico, mainly I mean due to the to the drug trade. So one of the things I see in Juarez, poor Juarez, um, you know, because of its it suffers because of its geography so close to the United States. Um, this is a city that is its purpose really its economy is based on satisfying the demand two two american two primary american demands um the demand for cheap goods and the demand for illegal drugs and it's created just this this uh this very toxic and dangerous environment in the city where uh you know it it explains a lot of the violence there and why people are vulnerable um to it working these uh these these low wage jobs right leaves them largely unprotected so mm. i think wanna... about that when 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 i think about you know how how is it possible that unemployment is is more um is worth more than your actual paycheck yeah yeah um I mean, that's like all those things that have been exposed you know like i i think many people who, with their eyes on any kind of activist space or interested in any kind of social justice equity have we've been talking about these things for a very very long time and now, like, yeah, to your point, I guess the this, the other side of this sword of the pandemic that cuts in a way that is at least maybe making way for progress is, yeah, now more people are kind of like, oh, yeah, like it, this sentiment that's sort of like, right, if the world is so bad and dangerous, yet some people have to continue to work, maybe that should actually pay 
in in some way that is actually proportionate to how essential that need is for their labor. Uh, right. But you know, I think that's where we hope to get more of that momentum to actually make these things laws because we can't count on any of these businesses themselves being like, you know what, we're just going to shrink our profit margins to do right by the worker because that's like the antithesis of how businesses are run in this country. Yeah. But that does seem to be the Supreme Court, going back to the Supreme Court, uh, their point of view seems to be that businesses have all the rights, just give them all all the rights to make the important decisions in in the U.S. Uh, and it's not I mean, They've been doing that for, I mean, yeah. the, the case study is ongoing and the right. data is in right. front of us when the corporations are able to decide what's best for themselves. And I don't but, think it's going too well. So the Republicans haven't even started, just going back to them, they haven't even started talking to the Democrats because no. they're already, you know, fighting with each other about what they should do. Um, and the other and, thing that makes it tough is the White House is demanding that they strip funding for testing in this next bill and adding a right. payroll tax cut. Like it's all OK. So strip the funding so he can completely obscure how bad the situation is in this country, because in his mind, you know, testing me, well, then they're going to know how bad it is. And then the payroll tax cut is just your run of the mill. Hey, shout out to the homies in the one percent. Right. Get you a little break on that payroll tax. That's right. Let's talk about another way that people are dealing with the uh, hellish uncertainty that uh, we currently exist in, and that is the uh, emerging fringe religious slash political movement uh, of QAnon. So we talked about how um, you know these movements can start off as laughable. And then as they evolve and gain momentum, uh, the outcomes can be horrific. Uh, so the adherence to the QAnon conspiracy are, I mean, it's just spreading. Uh, anecdotally, we've talked about people I know, but just also, you know, now that now it's acceptable for uh, people in the halls of power in D.C. There's people running for office who aren't being you know, laughed out. It's almost like it's the tea party movement where it's like, yeah, yeah well, that's a, that's a perspective that people have. Um, and it happens to be one that uh, is more sympathetic to my like really radically racist ideas. So yeah, come on in. And so, the other thing is too, there's even people in office who are like, you know, winking at QAnon supporters for, who are already seated members of Congress, whether that's through retweets or going on someone's show. There's definitely like, I think there is a they do have eyes on this, too, as like maybe another group that can be, you know, converted into like, you know, your hardcore conservatives again. But it's just it gets really, really dark. And for people who, you know, we talk about the conspiracy theory a lot, but just to reiterate, you know, that these people believe that there's an insider uh, like in D.C. who is basically giving the followers little tidbits and hints little about how they yeah, how the deep state is planning to take down Donald Trump or white America or there's so many other issues tied to this or how like any potential uh, uh, COVID vaccine could be about mind control, that uh, 5G has something to do with the coronavirus, that Black Lives Matter is a complete like illusion organization that was funded by George Soros. I mean, that's a that's a belief held all over the political or the conservative idea spectrum. But that's one that QAnon people especially are interested in. So it's just basically this really fucked up kaleidoscope that these people use to look at any given issue 
without seeing, you know, some other connection to uh, the deep state or the suppression of, you know, the the true patriots in this country. I mean, it's like a more militant uh, verging on religious uh, version of Trumpism. Like they Trump is the central figure. Uh, Q claims that Trump is secretly fighting this ring of pedophiles that is like Obama, the Clintons, uh, you know, all these famous people. Will Ferrell, uh, Tim Heidecker are are now implicated. Um, the one the performance artist from uh, the artist is present. Uh, like all of these, you know, people who are somewhat critical of the president are implicated in this wild, vast child eating, like baby eating, satanic conspiracy theory straight out of the 80s. Like this is, you know, yeah. if you ever then, watched any documentaries about like the 80s satanic panic or read about it, this is basically that, but tied to a worldview where Donald Trump is like the only uh, right person in the government. And it's also militant. Like they have killed people. Uh, they had one, one of their followers showed up at Comet Pizza, uh, the Comet Pizzeria with a assault weapon. It's it's really scary stuff. It all grows out of the Podesta email dump uh, from right. WikiLeaks and but there's also reading this thing, into right, those emails where there you look at the situation and there are there is such a thing where there are, there seem to be powerful people in this world who are involved in sex trafficking and child abuse, which is interesting because there always sort of needs to be some sh element of truth to really be. It's not like out of fully thin air. Uh, right. There's always just there's just enough that keeps these people uh, into it and the momentum builds. And I think that's why Twitter is intervening, because, yeah, we're seeing, you know, whether it was the guy with children in his car uh, running away from the police, begging the president to, like, save him, who was like very into these conspiracies or a woman who was on her way to like attack Joe Biden because of videos she had seen. It's becoming a problem. And they announced on Tuesday that they've removed thousands of accounts associated with the conspiracy. Um, and they said they're starting off with like, first it was like about 7,000 accounts, but it's part of this larger, larger initiative on the social media platform to just scrub the content off. Because like we're saying, it bleeds into things like vaccines and like public health and these other, is this very, very uh, dangerous, harmful ideas that people are taking on board and acting out in real life. And the, in addition to purging some of the accounts, they said they have like sort of a three three uh, main goals. One, uh, quote, no longer serve content and accounts associated with QAnon in trends and recommendations because you would see they would get trending a lot all the time, uh, whether it was like Obama stuff, whoever, whether, you know, they said Hillary Clinton had already been executed uh, and she had a body double walking around. Uh, the second thing is to work to ensure we're not highlighting this activity in search and conversations. And three, block URLs associated with QAnon from being shared on Twitter. And they say all in all, they think 150,000 accounts will be affected uh, when they fully start putting this uh, protocol in place. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's really, it's really uh, you know, that if I thought this was going to work, I'd be uh, pleased. I, I just 
the you know this is just going to lead to QAnon coming up with a theory where Jack Dorsey from Twitter is part of the conspiracy and is uh you know trying to protect the child smugglers like it's just that that's just the way it's going to because all it takes is yeah. one photo of you with somebody who's tangentially connected right. to anything or one like or tweet or follower or you're following someone yeah with these very tenuous connections but i guess again when you're so you know invested in this being the the reason to explain why the world is what it is then right. Yeah, these people just go, you know, yeah. steam into it. So just to give a case study of how like one of these theories just goes and sort of spider webs off into a million different directions. John Podesta had uh who was Hillary Clinton's chief of staff had emailed uh Marina Maria Marina Abramovich, uh the performance artist about a dinner that had like some weird language in it because you know, it was an email and who who knows why, but they used that email to suggest that she was tied into some weird satanic ritual. And then they found a example of her having a meal with Will Ferrell at one point. And so them just being at the same dinner. So they then bring in the idea that Will Ferrell is a child eating uh, baby killer and then they find a sketch that Will Ferrell did on the Tim and Eric show uh, where he's like a used car salesman, but he's selling child clowns. Just it's like absurd and creepy, like all of the Tim and Eric stuff is. And so then they claim that Tim and Eric are involved in this whole uh, ritual, satanic, you know, uh, web of conspiracy. And it's just like you can't do anything to stop that it's just just paying attention to it is going to cause it to grow not paying attention to it is going to cause it to grow and i always bring up the taiping rebellion in response to this the deadliest civil war ever in china and it was all about a silly fringe religious belief where a guy thought he was jesus's brother and uh and everybody laughed at it and it ended up killing 20 million people so uh all right. Let's uh let's take one more break and we'll come back and talk about Tucker Carlson. Yay. And we're back and the president had his first uh corona briefing in since uh the Lysol injection uh claim speculation uh that made everybody really concerned about his uh ability to lead the nation through the pandemic um he just it's sort of a desperate move but i think he's just seeing the poll numbers move in the wrong direction so drastically that he's like, all right, I got to do something to get out I got to go back to the thing that was so bad the entire party begged me to stop doing. Like, that right. is a, that is, the the logic baffles me. Because it's like, you're going back into a process where eventually he gets loose with it and he starts soloing, he does his freestyle jazz and he's back to saying like, yo, do the hydroxychloroquine intravenous Lysol medicine show. Welcome. <laughs> um. So that that began again uh, two days ago, and he 
stuck to the script pretty well. Uh, it seems like he somebody got in his ear and was like, yo, just just read, read the, words. the words. We'll spell them phonetically. Just read the words. Um, have them have them whisper it in my IFB. So yeah. I don't like to read. I'll just mimic whatever they say. And he botched it by all other politician standards, but nailed it by the standards, the like low, 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 low bar that uh, has been set for him as a leader. Um, but he because it was filled, it was riddled with more lies and deception. Oh yeah, you know totally. What I mean? like it's just so people know, it wasn't like he said anything. He he off the rip was like he called it China virus. Uh-huh. Uh, began lying about when he closed the border. You know, he did his usual thing of things that he tries to lie about to explain why he's actually right. still doing a good job. He did that. And then some other just very pre-written comments. The words he's sticking to are still being written by Stephen Miller and, you know, the racist uh, white supremacists and ghouls uh, in his administration. But uh, it's not, I, I think the thing that people in his party fear is that he's going to just start free associating and, you know, say something such well, as what he said when he was so- asked a question about accused child sex trafficker and longtime Trump friend, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, um, I'm just going to play it for you because if you've seen, you know, his interviews over the past, he's it's he's been having trouble like coming off like cool, calm and collected. Uh, right. He seems very frazzled all the time and. This I mean, the Chris Wallace it, one was the opposite of cool, calm, and collected. He no, looked sweaty it was as fuck. Hot, excited, and loose, uh, mm. if it's not collected. Okay, so this is the this is just a simple question. He made it through so many other questions until he's asked about uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell is in prison, and so a lot of people want to know if she's going to turn in powerful people. And I know you've talked in the past about Prince Andrew, and uh, you've criticize Bill Clinton's behavior. I'm wondering, uh, do you feel that she's going to turn in powerful men? How do you see that working out? I don't know. I haven't really been following it too much. I just wish her well, frankly. Wait, okay. So, <laughs> um, before this, he, he, he Mariah carried Jeff Epstein. He was like, who? Oh, I don't know. I don't know him. I've never, yeah. you know, I, I used to know him, stopped dealing with, but then with Ghislaine Maxwell, he's like, or Ghislaine, or, or however we're supposed to say it now. According. I mean, I think that, everyone, that reporter Gielen, I think, said Jiz Lane. He did, did but he yeah. did not see the documentary where everyone else who had interacted with her called her Gielen. Gielen, Uh That suddenly it's like, oh, you know, she's a, you know, known her for a while. I guess they lived together. So there was like a, I'm guessing a vague reference to Jeffrey Epstein. And then he wishes her, the whole commentary is, is very odd. And I think aside from just, up front saying like, yes, this accused sex trafficker abuser, I wish them well, that is already disturbing. But then when you sort of look deeper and you know that they have a relationship and the question was asked in the context of like, there could be some very powerful men that could be, you know, held to account based on the things Gillen Maxwell may or may not know. What's your thing? And he's like, yeah, I wish her the best. It's like, I don't know. The it's, whole thing is just very odd. It's unbelievable, kind of like I is he claiming such ignorance of everything that's going on in that case that he is just going to be like, well, I didn't know. I did, she just seemed like a very nice lady to me. 
I don't or, know because on one hand he did admit he was like he's like Jeffrey Epstein's a bad guy. He did mm-hmm. say that. He's like, and that's why like 15, 20 years ago, I stopped talking to him. I kept my distance from that man. But then when she's brought up, it's like they were together all the time, yet you don't know him, but you know her and wish her well. And I, I think, you know, this is just it goes to show like how dark and twisted these webs can get. And also back to that QAnon thing that it's the same sort of way, like the sort of cycle of thoughts begin where you're like, well, he's known them. He's in this photo. What does he know? He's on these flight logs. There must be something there in the, you know, we all begin our amateur sleuthing or at least ideation around it. But yeah, I think after watching that documentary and like hearing firsthand, like what her role is uh, or role was in the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, I, I can't imagine. And you could, the first thing you'd say was you wish them well, even if you just take that very narrowly, regardless of what the implications are. Cause some people speculate, is he trying to, you know, signal some kind of party, just keep your mouth shut. We can do work something out. Don't say something. Don't make it hot for me. I don't know. But just in that very narrow context, it's, very disturbing. Monica, have you been following this story at all? The Gielen? I have not. No, no, but I have been, um, I have been following, uh, the, the Jeffrey Epstein, um, case and, and certainly the cases of many other, um, powerful men involved in abuse of, of women. Um, and it, I mean, I, I listened, I I listened to your, um, discussion of this and the, uh, the QAnon, is it? Yeah. Yeah, of, of, of QAnon. Um, and well, one, it gives me an appreciation, just an even, even greater appreciation for my profession, because, I mean, this is the job. This is why we have um, professional, solid uh, journalism, is to go in and take these um, these questions and, and, and do the research, um, confirm and, and, and verify and and come to print. You know, when, when, when there are outstanding questions on a particular issue, you know, as as a journalist, you you go in and and you 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 turn to your reliable sources and and data and documentation and um, and rather and 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 combat um, this misinformation um, through through your good work. But yeah, this you speak about the powerful men um, and 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 how and 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 abuse of women and children. Um, I think about this uh, this cult, the Nexium cult. Um, yeah. which I've been, uh, which I was looking into be, um, as part of the, the podcast because one of, um, uh, Keith, uh, Ranieri's business associates was the son of, uh, of a former Mexican president. And, uh, and there was a lot of, um, you know, um, wealthy elite Mexicans who were associated, um, with, uh, uh, with Ranieri. Um, and there is indeed, uh, there was a, a, a leaked recording of, um, of the, uh, former president's son. His name is Emiliano Salinas. Um, you know, acknowledging that, that his, his knowledge of that, that women were branded as part of this, as part of this cult. And, you know, nothing happened to him, um, you know, he wasn't ever charged or, um, or, 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 you know, no, no, nothing happened. I mean, and, and I think this, this culture of impunity around, uh, power and wealth is, is part of what is, um, you know, p- part of the, the, the problem, uh, one, one of these unresolved problems that, uh, that we need to address as a, as a country. Um, yeah. 
and the comedy struggling to have a reckoning with too like you just see even you know to your point of like the, like the journalist uh Julie Brown I think she was the one who wrote the Miami Herald piece around Jeffrey Epstein like to hear all of the the roadblocks they ran into even in pursuit of the truth it makes it so much more harrowing yeah um correct yes and it used to be i i I would feel very uh very comfortable and very safe and backed up working as a journalist in in this country unlike my colleagues on the mexican side who who don't have that that sense of security i mean mexico is one of the top countries where journalists are targeted and and, and assassinated um, because of their work Um, and i used to feel some some level of confidence that i was protected from that fate being an American journalist, but um, in the last four years, that confidence has um, uh, has eroded. Yeah, right. It's very chilling. Yeah, and that's you know I think the point too. Uh, it's always meant to intimidate those who are trying to speak truth to power, at least sh- uh, share the information that will help people begin to think differently about what's going on. Yeah. Well, definitely. speaking of chilling. Tucker Carlson has been chilling uh, <laughs> by going on vacation. Uh, so uh, I, I do want to briefly talk about this because this is a story that I had like only taken a glancing look at. Um, but uh, our writer, J.M. McNabb, kind of did a deep dive into it. So um, there are two scandals that are hitting Tucker Carlson at the same time. Uh, his top writer, uh, guys complimented constantly and talked about how he's involved in every aspect of the show, Blake Neff. Uh, we talked about this, I think, last week. Uh, mm-hmm. Had anonymously written racist, sexist, and homophobic message board posts. CNN kind of uh, identified this anonymous poster as Tucker Carlson's top writer um, because he like had made it incredibly obvious, um, which isn't surprising. I mean, it's... As JM wrote, it's like finding out that a writer from Seinfeld secretly posted comedic musings about the minutia of modern life. It's like, yeah, that's what you do. You'd expect for that a living. Room that's like, exactly yeah. what. Yeah, but um, you know, he so Tucker Carlson came on the air and was like, uh, you know, he called Neff's actions wrong, and then immediately like in the next sentence started defending him uh didn't even like wait till later in the episode or till the next episode just uh started calling the people who criticized him uh ghouls uh and then uh that's our word for them (laughs) and then he randomly announced that he was going on vacation uh which uh he said a long planned vacation which is code word for uh in the Fox News world for letting things cool down because uh, the host fucked up in a major way. I I remember this happening a lot with Bill O'Reilly. More recently, it happened with Laura Ingram, uh, where they would say, I'm going on a pre-planned vacation uh, starting that Tuesday. They announce it on Monday uh, after the shit has hit the fan uh, and then announce that they're going on a pre-planned vacation starting the next day. So uh, just before he came back from his totally 100% real vacation uh, over the weekend, Fox News was hit with a lawsuit from former producer Jennifer Eckhart uh, and frequent guest Kathy Areu, uh, alleging that Fox cultivated and fostered sexual harassment and misconduct, specifically 
uh, Carlson himself had propositioned Areu when she was seeking a full-time job at Fox News, uh, mentioning to her at the Fox News Christmas party, uh, which those words send a shiver Fox down my News spine. Fox News Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he mentioned to her that he would be staying alone in his hotel room without any wife or kids. Uh, and, you know, first of all, thank God Fox News has battled so tirelessly against the liberal war on Christmas, lest men not be able to celebrate Jesus's birthday by drunkenly hitting on women whose employment situation is dependent on their support. Um, <laughs> anyways, he... Uh, he then, w- when she, you know, just kind of tried to avoid the conversation and, you know, turn him down as politely as possible, uh, he ended her long run on Tucker Carlson tonight uh, as one of the, you know, frequent guests. Um, so rather than announce another fishing vacation, since this came out right as he was coming back from his, uh, long planned original vacation. Uh, he created a new controversy, uh, very Trumpian in order to distract from the two other scandals. Uh, he claimed that the New York times was going to run a story revealing the location of his house in order to hurt his family. Um, and he, uh, yeah, it's very strange. And like the New York times is just like, he knows First of all, we are not going to do that. We The New York Times does not dox people intentionally. Second of all, uh, he knew that heading into the episode. He had the, the writers for his show had presumably reached out to fact check and they were like, no, what? Uh, anyways, he went live with that accusation while naming the reporter he claimed was going to dox him and his family. Uh, and that reporter was then doxxed. So oh my God. he actively like declared war on a journalist and that reporters, you know, been doxxed and uh, their life has been threatened by Tucker Carlson's fans. Uh, it's, you know, but that's how was this that's reporter how he, was this reporter selected at, at random or, or did this reporter have, uh, was there a reason I think why, he, um, I think they were writing something critical of Tucker Carlson. Like there, there's no shortage of things to write negative about Tucker Carlson in the past week. And so he, for some reason latched onto some detail and claimed that it was evidence that the New York times was going to uh, dox him. And the New York times was like, no, that's obviously not going to happen. What are you talking about? Um, but anyways, that, so that created, a, a nice sideshow. Um, and then he also is like beefing with Sean Hannity uh, because he, he criticized Jeff Bezos for getting, making more money in a single day than anyone has ever made. Uh, and he's also richer than anyone's ever been in Tucker Carlson. He like randomly will have politically valid points that he makes. Uh, but Sean Hannity was like, well, uh, that's America buster uh, when, when they were doing the handoff um, in between shows. And that again, just created another, another little scandal for us to, to ignore the fact that uh, this family man who stands for family values uh, was trying to use his position of power to, um, you know, 
have a, a sexual relationship, presumably with uh, a person who he was in no position to do that to. Um, yeah, so. this is the, I mean, you know, back to what we've been talking about, the end, I, we'd hope for to see the, be, at least a shift away from this, like, man acting with impunity because I'm here, you need this from me, therefore I have carte blanche to right. behave in any way I can. It's and the, yeah, the planned vacation thing is just really fancy speak for they're fucking up the advertising money, right? Um, and that's the only way we can stop the bleeding is to get their face like literally off the screen. Machismo exists everywhere. Oh, yeah, truly, absolutely. Monica, to your question on like what the exact details were of the reporter who got doxxed uh, from the New York Times, the New York Times said like we don't release details of anything that we write in future editions of the paper. So like they're being sort of opaque about it, but I'm, I'm assuming we will eventually get some sort of insight into what exactly the New York times was going to write and how, uh, Tucker Carlson responded and interpreted all that. I'm, I'm sure it's wildly irrational. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, since I don't think the New York Times has ever maliciously doxxed anyone in a story, but uh, I mean, when know. would they print an address unless it was like, "Hey, there's this event going down in the city at right. this address." Like, other than that, I see no point that it's ever of use. Yeah, very strange. Uh, Monica, it has been such a pleasure having you on the Daily Zeitgeist. Uh, where can people find you, follow you, hear you? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I survived the. <laughs> you did, <laughs> and um, with your journalistic well, integrity intact. Co- correct, correct. Well, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, yes, yes, you can. Well, absolutely. Listen, uh, tune in to to our podcast, uh, Forgotten: The The Women of Juarez, and uh, we'll have um, we'll have an, a new episode out on July twenty seventh. Um, so we're two, two more episodes away from the end. So we're getting to the really good stuff. Um, the really important stuff. And you can follow me on my Twitter account, which is at M Ortiz Uribe. And is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? There is a group of, um, Latinx, uh, writers at the LA Times who are coming together and advocating for bringing more um, Hispanic, Latinx uh, writers on board and be more representative of, um, of the, the, the region they cover. And I think that's, that's pretty badass. Miles, where can people find you and follow you? And what's a tweet you've been enjoying? Uh, you can find me, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray. And also, you know, the other uh, podcast, 420 Day Fiance. If you want to talk some reality nonsense about 90 Day Fiance. Uh, a, let's see. A tweet that I like is from James Third, James Three from Astronomy Club. Uh, and this it's James Third at James Third Comedy is his handle. <laughs> and his tweet is, it's a quote. It says, I've noticed you'll say something sad. And then you laugh. And then it's attributed <laughs> no. to my therapist. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how we deal with things sometimes. That is so true. Uh, first of all, shout out to everybody for um, all the corrections on my old guard review, <laughs> which was a fucking 
disaster. First of all, the so I said the writer was just some dude. He's actually the writer of the comic that the movie's based on. Uh, oh, I'm an idiot. Uh, I'm the opposite of a journalist, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, and also, most embarrassingly, I Kiki. I confused uh, Kiki Lane and Kiki Palmer. Uh, Kiki Lane is the actress from If Beale Street Could Talk and who was in this movie, and I kept calling her Kiki Palmer. And Before they uh, called her Kiki's com- Delivery Service. Right. <laughs> Shout out to Studio Ghibli. <laughs> yes, thank you guys for, for calling me out. Um, a tweet I've been enjoying. Uh, Kurt Neal tweeted, I'm more of a Lin-Manuel Samantha. Um <laughs> I loved that. Your little uh, sex in the city mashup joke. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, For where notes. we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. Miles, what are we going to ride out on today? Okay, we're, we had a track from Derringer yesterday. There's another track that I like because it's referencing a very specific sneaker, the Air Max 97 in all gold, and the track is called Gold 97s. And I know what he's talking about. Just off the strength of the title, I was very interested in the track. But uh, he's just a master with these jazz samples. There's like a really trippy flute sample that goes off and some strings. Again, more music to just have on the background, do something, change the, the vibe in your abode, if you will. So change the enjoy vibe. That. I've been finding your music recommendations helpful because to get Hamilton out of my head. For some reason, I wake up every morning with a different song from Hamilton stuck in my head, and it's driving me <laughs> mad. And it's oh, driving it's me, me mad. mad. Wow. Okay, call back. By the way, my my original AK was from that Will Ferrell sketch about uh, the devil. Uh, yeah. So thematic call forward to uh, the uh, Will Ferrell being a satanic baby eater. Uh, one of the best sketches on the uh, on, in SNL history, so people should check it out. Uh, anyways, the Daily Zeitgeist is, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to y'all then. Bye. Bye. Hasta luego.